We read from the Holy Scriptures this morning from two passages, first from the book of Genesis, chapter 12. We read the first nine verses. This is in the context of God's call to Abram. And secondly, we will read from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11. We'll read the first 19 verses. Our focus there, too, is upon Abraham and his faith as God calls him to sojourn in the land of promise. Our text is found in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. We read first from Genesis chapter 12. We hear the word of God. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Then we turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We read verses 1 through 19. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, 
prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Thus far we read from God's infallibly inspired word. As I said, our text this morning is found here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10, where we read, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, clearly Abraham is a very prominent figure in the list of the so-called heroes of faith that are set forth in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham could be considered from many different points of view. He was called the friend of God. God established his covenant with Abraham and his seed. But here in Hebrews 11, the emphasis falls upon the faith of Abraham. Abraham is called the father of all the faithful. Here we see that Abraham's faith was the subjective ground of things hoped for. Here it is plain that Abraham's faith was the 
evidence of things not seen. Verse 8 of this chapter tells us that this faith of Abraham was manifest in obedience to the call of God. The call of God first came to Abraham at Ur of the Chaldees and then later at Haran. This call to Abraham came very definitely as a calling from Jehovah God. Abraham did not leave his home because of any personal feelings or inner emotions that he may have had. This call of God was the direct word of God to him. Abraham received a direct revelation from God in whatever form that may have been. And the contents of that call are revealed to us in Genesis chapter 12. That call consisted of a twofold command. Negatively, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. And positively, get thee unto a land that I will show thee. And this call to Abraham included a promise. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, we read, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Included in the promise was God's word to Abraham upon his arrival in Canaan. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And so it was that by this call, God preached the gospel unto Abraham. As Galatians 3 explains in verses 8 and 9, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, notice, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham obeyed this call. He went out. He did not question God's call to him. He did not attempt to avoid that call. He did not contrive excuses not to go and obey God's call to him. Abraham simply went. He took Sarai and Lot and all the souls they had gotten in Haran and all their substance and he went out. He went out not knowing whither he went. Abraham did not even know where he was going. God had not told Abraham the name of the country which would one day be his inheritance. God had not provided Abraham with a detailed map. God had actually told him very little about his destination. But by faith, Abraham simply followed step by step the direction of the Lord. But Abraham's faith and obedience must 
not be understood as just a, a single act that was fulfilled when he reached the land of Canaan. Upon arriving in the land of Canaan, Abraham was called to persevere in his faith. Scripture tells us that when Abraham arrived in the land of promise, he was called to sojourn there. Our text tells us by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. And beloved, Abraham's faith manifest in his life of sojourning is meant to strengthen our faith. Abraham's faith manifest in his life of sojourning is meant to encourage us in our pilgrimage here below. So it's in this light that we consider our text this morning under the theme, Abraham's sojourn by faith. We notice, first of all, the meaning, secondly, the motivation, and finally, the significance. So what did Abraham find when he came to that land which God showed him? He certainly did not find a country all prepared for himself and his family. He did not find a land which he could immediately take as his possession. He did not find a country filled with people with whom he could have a genuinely spiritual relationship. Oh no, quite to the contrary, Abraham found a land of which he could not take definite possession. He found a country which was inhabited by the heathen Canaanites. We read of that in Genesis 12, verse 6. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And so he found a land filled with those with whom he could have no spiritual kinship. Abraham had only the promise of God. God had promised to make of him a great nation. But as yet, he had no child. As yet, his wife was barren. The Lord had promised to make Abraham's name great. But Abraham was a stranger in a land inhabited by heathen tribes. He had no fame or honor among the Canaanites. Jehovah had promised to give the land unto Abraham and his seed. But Abraham did not own any of the land. As the book of Acts in chapter 7 verse 5 tells us, and he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. So what was Abraham now to do? Was Abraham to return unto that land from which he had come out? Verse 15 here in Hebrews 11, suggests that that might have been possible. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity 
to have returned. But truly, Abraham did not and could not go back. Well, was Abraham to take possession of the land by force? After all, God had promised that the land was to be his. But Abraham was not to raise up his own arm of flesh against the inhabitants of the land. Was Abraham then to become a citizen of that land, a a permanent inhabitant? Perhaps he could have moved in with some of the wicked descendants of Ham. Or maybe Abraham could have built his own city there in the land of Canaan. But Abraham, believing God's promise, could not do this. Abraham was called to exercise his faith. He simply had to believe the promise of God. He had to wait for God himself to fulfill and realize his promise. He knew by faith that at the proper time, God would give him the land. Abraham was therefore required to sojourn in the land of promise. Literally, this word sojourn means to dwell beside or to dwell in one's neighborhood. It means to dwell in a place as a stranger, to live as a visitor in a place which is not really one's home. This Abraham did by faith. He dwelled as a stranger in the land of promise. He did not mix and mingle with the Canaanites. He did not conform to their idolatrous ways. He remained separate from the wicked inhabitants of the land. He was an outsider, a foreigner in in a land that would one day be his. The text emphasizes that he sojourned there as in a strange country. Literally, we read, as in a land belonging to another. Abraham lived there in the land of Canaan, conscious of the fact that not a square foot of the land belonged to him. Abraham never made himself at home there. Now, the text emphasizes that Abraham's sojourn was shown by his dwelling in tabernacles. And the word tabernacles refers here simply to tents. As you know, a tent is a temporary dwelling place. A tent may be easily broken up and carried away. A tent is always a very weak and frail abode. It offers little or no protection against attack. A tent has no real permanence and stability. It is without a strong foundation. A tent is always a movable abode. A tent is pitched today in one place and tomorrow in another. A tent is the proper dwelling place for a nomad, a wanderer in a land not his own. 
And so a tent is the symbol of what is temporary. Abraham's tent life pointed to the fact that he sojourned in the land. By his dwelling in tents, Abraham manifested himself as a sojourner, a stranger in the land of promise. That Abraham sojourned dwelling in tabernacles meant that Abraham stood in stark contrast to the inhabitants of the land. He was a stranger there, a foreigner, and that was obvious to everybody. Abraham took no part in the political or social affairs there. He had very little social interaction with the Canaanites. Abraham built different altars and worshipped a different God. Abraham wore different clothing and spoke a different language and sang different songs. Abraham had different attitudes and goals. As a tent dweller, Abraham was a person upon whom everyone looked as a stranger. Abraham did not buy a large tract of land there. Abraham did not build a fine house or palace. Abraham did not live in a city. He did not become a citizen of the land. In all of his life, Abraham conducted himself as a foreigner, a sojourner in a land not his own. The scriptural account of Abraham's life testifies to the truth of all this. Think, for example, of Abraham's attitude at the time when his nephew Lot separated from him. Then it was abundantly clear that Abraham was willing to remain a pilgrim and a stranger in the land. Abraham, after all, had a right to the land. He had the promise of God, but his attitude was one of self-denial. And the whole incident leaves Abraham a, a lonely sojourner in the land. It's significant, too, that at the time when Abraham fought and gained the victory over King Kedoleomer and his allies, that he was known by the Canaanites as the Hebrew. Abraham the Hebrew. And that name means from the other side, referring either to the other side of the Jordan or perhaps the Euphrates River. That name given Abraham by the inhabitants of the land pointed to the fact that he was known as a stranger there. When the Lord appeared unto Abraham at Mamre, we read that Abraham sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. It's the first part of Genesis chapter 18. Abraham appeared here too as a sojourner. The very fact that Abraham sat in the door of his tent constituted a confession that he was a stranger in a strange land. Notice too, 
Abraham's words to the sons of Heth at the time of his purchase of a burial place for Sarah. Abraham said, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. This entire incident also points to the fact that even in death, Abraham was a stranger in the land. And finally, that Abraham was a sojourner in the land is evident from the very fact that Abraham sent his servant to Abraham's own kindred back in Haran to obtain a wife for his son Isaac. Further, our text points out that Isaac and Jacob also sojourned, dwelling in tents. We read, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Our text emphasizes that Isaac and Jacob possessed the same promise of God. That was clear from the fact that God, in speaking of the promise to Abraham, included Abraham's seed, his descendants. After Abraham had arrived in Canaan, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. We read that in Genesis 12, the fourth verse. After Lot had chosen to go toward Sodom, the Lord spoke unto Abraham, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. At the time of the establishment of the covenant with Abraham, as we read of that in Genesis chapter 17, God said unto Abraham, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That Isaac and Jacob possess that same promise of God is also clear from the fact that that promise was repeated unto them. In Genesis 26, verse 3, we read that when Isaac was in Gerar because of the famine, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And Jacob was at Bethel. In his dream, he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Because Isaac and Jacob possessed that same promise, we read that they were heirs with him, literally the co-heirs of the same promise. They too, therefore, believed in the promise of God. They too sojourned in the land of promise, 
They dwelt in tents as strangers and pilgrims in the land. Jacob confessed that fact when before King Pharaoh in Egypt he said, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. All this emphasizes the fact that these patriarchs had to live their whole lives by faith as sojourners in the land of promise. Abraham did not merely have to sojourn in the land for, say, a couple of years. He was already an old man, 100 years old, before he even received the promised son. And the only parcel of land Abraham ever possessed was the cave of Machpelah, which he bought for a cemetery. Abraham sojourned his whole life without receiving that land of Canaan. And the same is true of Isaac and Jacob. They lived that same sojourner's life, dwelling in tents. Never did they receive that land of Canaan as their inheritance. And so we see that by faith, by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Understand, beloved, Abraham's sojourn was possible only by faith. Faith, which is the gift of God. Without faith, Abraham would not and could not sojourn in the land of promise. By nature, Abraham might have been inclined to return to Haran or even way back to Ur. By nature, Abraham might have attempted to conquer the land and set himself up as lord and king in Canaan. By nature, Abraham would have perhaps built a city there and joined amalgamated himself with the Canaanites. Humanly speaking, the life of sojourning was impossible. But Abraham did all of this by faith. He believed the promises of God. And believing, he was content to sojourn in that land. But we might be inclined to ask then, did not Abraham then die sorely disappointed without any hope of the realization of the promise? God had told him that he would receive the land, but he never did. All his life he merely sojourned in the land of promise. He was a stranger there. Abraham saw hardly a glimmering of fulfillment. Was not his faith in vain? Oh no. For Abraham looked for the heavenly. 
Our text declares, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew that God's promise did not refer ultimately to that earthly land of Canaan. By faith, Abraham knew that when God said, I will give you this land and to thy seed forever, God was not merely promising an earthly land. By faith, Abraham knew that that promise did not refer to that land in which he sojourned. Abraham knew that the earthly land of Canaan was only a picture, a type of the heavenly land of Canaan. Abraham realized that the promise of God went far beyond that earthly land. In that earthly Canaan, Abraham saw only a shadow of the much more glorious heavenly inheritance. And because of that, he could sojourn in the land of his inheritance. Because of that, he could persevere in his faith. So Abraham's faith was indeed the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He looked for that heavenly city. Literally, the idea is that he awaited it and he expected it. Abraham knew that the object of his expectation would truly be his. Abraham could not see that heavenly city. It was unseen, only insofar as that earthly land of Canaan pointed to it, could he visualize a little bit the heavenly. Abraham could not see heaven from this side of the grave, yet Abraham hoped for it, And here the element of expectation is on the foreground. He looked for that city. He expected it. Abraham looked toward the future, anticipating it. He was confident that that expectation would be realized. His looking for this city was not characterized by any doubt but he was certain that that city would be his. And finally, Abraham longed for that city. It wasn't just in the back of his mind somewhere, a mere wish for it, but throughout his life of sojourning, he ardently desired that city. He had an intense longing for it. So notice the sharp contrast that we have before us here. Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, dwelling in tents. That life was characterized by loneliness. Abraham pitched his tents only temporarily, ready to pick up and leave and move on to another destination. Always he was a stranger, 
a foreigner in the land. Never did he possess the land or have a permanent abode there. But Abraham looked for that city which hath foundations. There he was not a stranger but a citizen. There he would make himself at home. That city was something permanent and abiding dwelling place. While his tent had no foundations whatsoever, this city had firm and enduring foundations. So what was this city? There are some who want to maintain that this city that Abraham expected was, after all, just the earthly Jerusalem. They would argue that Abraham could not know anything of the heavenly. They say that Abraham was merely looking forward to the time when he wouldn't have to dwell anymore in tents, but could live in the earthly city of Jerusalem. But this certainly cannot be the case. For then, of course, Abraham's faith really was in vain, for he never personally lived in Jerusalem. In addition, this whole epistle to the Hebrews exactly repudiates the idea of an earthly Jerusalem and an earthly temple. And further, Abraham and all God's people of the old dispensation surely died in the hope of everlasting life and salvation in heaven. And finally, according to the last part of our text, God, God is the builder and maker of this city. And that was certainly not literally the case with the earthly Jerusalem. Positively, this city for which Abraham looked was a city with foundations. That implies that this city was not something temporary or frail, but that it is the incorruptible, undefilable inheritance of which the apostle Peter speaks in 1 Peter chapter 1. That it has foundations implies that this city is permanent, that it knows no fluctuations, it feels no changes. That implies that this city never fears an assault. It can never crumble and fall as do men's cities. This was a city whose builder and maker was God. Literally, we read, whose artificer and builder is God. God is its artificer. That is, he designed it. He was its sovereign architect. God was also its builder, the artisan, the one who actually framed the city. This is, of course, the deepest reason for its abiding character. And this city, therefore, is the new Jerusalem. It is the heavenly city. That's the city whose builder and maker is God. 
And the city of the new Jerusalem is, in a word, the church. The church is called the new or heavenly Jerusalem in Scripture. In Galatians 4, verse 26, we read, Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. That's the church. In Hebrews 12, verses 22 and 23, Scripture tells us, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That's certainly also plain from that beautiful description of the new Jerusalem that we have set before us in Revelation chapter 21. There John saw in the vision the holy city, new Jerusalem, prepared as a bride. And the point is that the city is not a number of houses and buildings, but it is the living citizens, the people that constitute the city. The church depicted as a city emphasizes the idea of communion and fellowship, something quite different, again, from Abraham's lonely life of sojourning. This picture of this city presented in symbolic language gives us only a glimmer of the true glory and splendor of it. That this city has foundations means, therefore, that it is a city founded in God's sovereign, eternal decree. God's decree is the foundation of this city. Sovereign election makes this a firm and abiding city. God, as the artificer, designs this city in his eternal decree. God, as the builder, builds that city through Jesus Christ. Christ, after all, is the very heart of the promise. He is the chief cornerstone in that city. The sovereign work of regeneration in our hearts by the Spirit of Christ makes us citizens of that city, makes us living stones from which that city is built. This, beloved, was the motivation for Abraham's sojourn by faith. Abraham looked for the everlasting glory of the church in the new heavens and the new earth. With that faith, Abraham was content, perfectly content, to sojourn all his life in the land of promise. So what is the significance of Abraham's sojourn by faith? This, beloved, is the calling of all of God's people. Maybe we're inclined to ask, why? 
Why did God require Abraham to sojourn all his life long? Why did not God immediately give him the land? Why did God not immediately fulfill his promise to Abraham? And why does God require us to sojourn here below? Could he not immediately give us our inheritance? Could he not immediately bring us to our heavenly home? The answer is that God wanted Abraham and wants us to live by faith. God has determined every step of the way to our inheritance. Of course, the promised Messiah, the Christ, had to come in the fullness of time. And now we wait for his return upon the clouds of heaven. God will not bring about the final fulfillment of his promise until all the elect are saved. So what does it mean that we are called to sojourn here? That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we are to become what we might call isolationists. It's not that we are to separate ourselves physically from the inhabitants of this earth, perhaps on some faraway island, or maybe way up north in the bush of the northwest territories of Canada. Abraham didn't do that. That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we may not use the things of the world. We are not to separate ourselves from the things of the world as such, the modern conveniences, for example. Abraham didn't do that. But for us to sojourn means that we dwell beside that we dwell in the earth as strangers. We live as foreigners in this earth. We live here not as citizens spiritually of this world, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We live in the midst of this world, just as Abraham lived in the midst of the land of Canaan, but we are not of the world. How often is that not our testimony? The testimony of the antithesis. We are in the world, but not of the world. It means that we strive to live antithetically then here below. Again, it does not mean that we turn our back on the things of this world as such. Things of themselves are good creatures of God, but we will strive to use all things to serve God, to seek the kingdom, to glorify him, and we strive to walk in holiness, seeking that which is good, hating and fleeing from that which is evil. 
More specifically, that we sojourn here below as strangers in the land means that we are different, just as Abraham was different. We speak a different language, spiritually speaking. We sing different songs. We sing the songs of Zion. We worship a different God. We worship the God of Scripture. Not the idols of pleasure, of sex, of sports, of fame, of wealth. We have different attitudes and goals than does the world of unbelief. And that must be seen by all. Can your neighbor, do your co-workers see the difference? Do they recognize that you're a pilgrim and a stranger here? We live in days when being outdoors, camping, very popular, many pitch their tents, filling campgrounds and parks. But are we spiritual tent dwellers? The world around us must see that we are spiritual tent dwellers. The world must see that we are not citizens here, that this is not really our home. Is that true of us? Does the world call us Abraham the Hebrew, the man from the other side? Do people take note of us as was done with respect to Peter and John and perceive that we have been with Jesus? Do we live in tents spiritually or in houses with foundations? Beloved, only by faith can we sojourn here below as spiritual pilgrims and strangers. By nature, we would not sojourn. We are inclined by nature to conform to the world. And we would speak their language, sing their songs, join in their entertainments, Worship their gods, have their goals, pleasure, mammon. By nature, we would be citizens here below, seeking to make a name and a place for ourselves here, mixing and mingling with the world of unbelief. By the grace of God, Through faith, we too take hold upon the promise of God. That promise, which is essentially Christ, becomes the important thing. Yea, with the Apostle Paul, we would count all things but loss, even dung, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. 
By God's grace, through faith, we receive all the riches of his salvation, and we are made sojourners here, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And by grace, we too look for that city which has foundations. We expect that city. We know that it is ours as God's children. We are certain that we shall receive it. We live in anticipation of that day. That's comfort, especially as we draw near the end of our earthly pilgrimage. And therefore, we too walk as strangers in the earth with a spirit of contentment. With the Apostle Paul, we learn in whatever state we are therewith to be content. In the faith of our fathers, we walk as strangers in the world. We look for the city which hath foundations. In that faith, we will truly receive our glorious inheritance. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word of truth. Apply it unto our hearts and unto our lives. Forgive us our worldly-mindedness. Give us to set our hearts upon that city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker thou art. Give us to be manifest more and more, young and old alike, as pilgrims and strangers here, setting our hearts upon that heavenly home. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.